This week on Intrigued, full effect. I just want to know realistically what's going on.、Mm-hmm. I know people say I shouldn't say, but I'm gonna tell. I'm gonna speak my son's truth until I get justice for him. So I know what happened to him. It's like having my heart is gone. I'm Shandrea Thomas, and welcome to episode eight. In this podcast, I talk about curious cases, disappearances, and other stuff. And today, I'm talking about the curious case and murder of 28-year-old Jerome Baker from St. Louis, Missouri. I distinctly remember covering his disappearance when I was reporting in St. Louis back in 2016. That was also my first encounter with his mother, Marnice. In talking with her that day, I could see the worry and hear the pain in her voice. And all she wanted to know is where her son was. But she also knew that something was wrong, and that's especially true because she had a close bond with her son. Marnie says that Jerome called her at least three times a day, and those calls stopped on the day he disappeared. After more than a year of worry and waiting, she finally got an answer. Jerome's remains were found in a wooded area in North St. Louis, and now the question is, who took his life and why? Marnice also gave me some shocking and exclusive details about her son's case that have never been shared with the media or public before. I will break that down for you in this episode. So let's get to the story. I spoke to Jerome's mother and his best friend Corey. I also reached out to the woman he was seeing at the time, and I heard back from St. Louis City Police about the case. This is what happened. It was May fifteenth, two thousand sixteen, just after nine a.m. Jerome, a father of four, was planning to spend the day with his family at Six Flags. That's when his female friend left to pick up some kids to make the trip to the park. Jerome stayed behind and planned to meet up with them after he made lunches inside of the woman's home at the six hundred block of Bartmer in St. Louis. Then, at around nine fifty-six, Jerome called his friend Corey and asked him for a ride to the park because they had a big group. But when Corey arrived to pick him up about eleven minutes later, Jerome was nowhere to be found. And that's when the tragedy for Marnice Baker started. Jerome's bank, social media, and phone activity stopped on that day. Marnice Baker, thank you for taking the time to talk with me today. I know it's been a little while since we talked about Jerome's case, but I do want people who may not be familiar with his case to really know exactly what happened from the beginning. So, can you take me back to that day in 2016 when you found that your son was missing? What happened that day? Well, it was a normal Sunday. Jerome called me about nine o'clock in the morning, maybe about eight thirty or nine. Wanted to use my car, need an extra car. Because him, a girl, and some more people were going to take some kids to Six Flags, and、uh, I told Jerome I had somewhere to go because I had my my other kids with me, and、uh, he said, "Okay, well, let me make a couple more phone calls see if I can get a car." So I'm thinking maybe he got the car or whatever, but then I get a call from his best friend about I'm gonna say about nine fifty ten ten fifteen, and he's like, "Uh." I'm outside Jerome's house, and I'm picking him up because he asked to use my car. His friend Corey said he asked to use my car, and I told him he can use it, but I would drop him off and pick them back up so that way I could still be doing what I have to do. He said no. I'm outside the house. He's not answering the door, and actually it was the girl's house they were at. And I'm like, that's not Jerome. If you call, if he call you, you answer the phone. He picks up. So he's like, "Well, I just talked to him. I told him I was on my way." 
So he was pulling off. I said, no, go back and knock on the door. So I'm like, well, where is the little young lady? And he was like, well, she's dropping some kids off and picking them up. I'm like, call her and tell her to come unlock that door. Me being a mother just didn't sit right with me at that moment. So I'm like, no, somebody come open the door. I think it may be he fell, maybe something that happened in the house. I'm not thinking that he's not going to be out of sight, out of mind, nowhere to be found. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking something that happened in the house. We need to get into the house and see what's going on. So let me just make sure I'm clear. So the friend drove up, Jerome wasn't answering his phone, and he wasn't coming to the door, so he went and tried again? Yes, he went and he uh, he called her to tell her to come open the door. Because he's like, Jerome's not answering the uh, phone. I'm like, no, don't. I'm like, tell her to open the door. Something ain't right. It just immediately hit me. I don't know what it is, if it's a mother intuition or what, but it just came over me. So I'm sitting on the phone, and then he's like, I call you back. He called her. He called me back. And I'm like, did y'all open the door yet? And he's like, she's pulled up. She went across the street to the neighbor's house first. That didn't sit right with me either. If you know he's missing, or nobody's, or not saying missing, because at that point we didn't know he was missing. But if you know that something's not going on, he's not answering, why would you go across the street to the neighbor's house first? So, Curry said, um, then she went on the neighbor's house for a few minutes. Then she came in the house. And I'm like, so what did she do then? Curry's like, well, she came in the house, she went in the house, she seen his coat was laying across the couch, and she went immediately in his coat, in his coat pocket, took some money out, and then was like, we're still going to Six Flags. Wait a minute. with a girl. What? That was, that, was yes. the, that was the first instinctive thing that came to mind at that moment? Yes. Let me just back this up just a little bit. Now, these are all things that you realized after the fact. On the initial day, these are not things that you were thinking. Or were these things no. that you immediately thought? I was not thinking the worst. But when you sit down and you analyze all the things that this red flag, you're like, okay, well, why would a person do this? Or why would this happen? And it was just a lot of red flags to where not working with the police, they see a lot of red flags. But because it was not taken serious in the beginning, it's a lot of evidence and everything is gone. Marnie says when the girlfriend came back in Jerome's car, it was packed with kids heading to Six Flags and she didn't have enough room for the kids in the car. So Corey eventually gave some of the kids a ride in his own car. Marnice also claims the girlfriend thought Jerome had left with another woman and wanted to go to the park as planned. And she tells his friend, still drop us off. Okay. So was like, he didn't feel comfortable, but he still dropped him off at six flags. Okay, so what happened she after that? Mom's car, mm-hmm. and Corey dropped the rest off. Okay. So while she was at six flags, then I was wearing, like, where's my grandson? And he's like, well, she took him with you. He doesn't go nowhere with her. My son was married. Him and his wife were separated. Mm. And he either go with his wife or his mother. So he really knew nothing about this young lady. Okay, so so the woman that he was with was a girlfriend while he was separated from his wife. She was a female acquaintance, yeah, because we really don't know her like that. Seen her maybe once or twice, but I never really knew anything about her. As minutes turned into hours throughout the night, there was still no sign of Jerome, and the family started to panic. All of this happening while Marnice was out of town on a trip. 
So by this time, I'm getting nervous. I'm calling around. Corey's calling around. Everybody's calling around. Jerome's a mama boy. He had mama boy tattooed on his neck. And a lot of people be like, well, y'all fussed at each other and all that. We fussed and all that. But that was my baby and I was his his life. You know, that's, we're so close in age. We're only 15 years apart. So we kind of grew up together. You know, he turned me into the woman I was. Happened to raise him. And it's like, even when he was mad at, at mom, he still called mom 15 times a day. Mm-hmm. Even if he mad at me, he still gonna call. What you doing? Never mind. Right. It just was a habit. I heard from him the night before. Uh, he came and got his son that night from me because Jerome was with me. His son Jerome was with me initially. And then from that point on, I didn't hear anything else. So you do, you know, you had a very close bond and relationship with your son. So you communicated with him regularly on a daily basis. That was nothing that was out of the ordinary. You heard from your son no matter what. Right. Okay. So on this particular day, something about your gut instincts tells you something's not right. Did you go over to the house yourself? No. I was waiting on Corey to uh, call me back. I had called the police, but they told me I couldn't make a report for 24 hours. I literally waited till like 9 o'clock in the morning. When it was exactly 24 hours, and then I got up there when I went to the police station. After filing a police report, Marnice wasn't satisfied with the response she got from police. She continued to press investigators to do more. So I was asking them would they pink his phone, because his phone was with him. And St. Louis City Police was like, no. So I'm begging them, please pink his phone, something is wrong, something is wrong. And she tells me, oh no, uh, I got a tip, he's in Illinois with a white girl. I'm like, this Jerome's not over there. And she's like, well, how do you know? Because this is what I heard from the uh, hotline, and this is the tip I gave. I'm like, because Jerome wouldn't go a day without calling me. I'm like, do I need to pull my phone record so I can show you Jerome calls me 100 times a day? And actually, it took me five months for me to actually get them to ping his phone. Mm, So what happened after they pinged his phone? What did you find out from that? Well, we actually went into his phone and got some phone calls ourselves. Then Marnice hit me with some explosive information about her son's case that has never been revealed to the public that can potentially blow the case wide open. She says Jerome's last phone call was to 911. I got an anonymous tip that says after the five months when they finally pinged his phone, I got a tip saying, ask him about a 911 call. That's all the person told me. Hmm, that's interesting. So what happened with this mysterious 911 call? On the tape, they said he was fighting, and they know it's more than one person. Maybe it was by himself fighting. So you're saying that during this 911 call, there was some scuffling and things going on within this phone call? Yes. So tell me, what do you know about the call? I wouldn't listen to it. I was not mentally ready to listen to it. And then I didn't want to accidentally hear anything to where I might hear my baby needing help from me. So I... um I asked my daughters if they wanted to hear it, but I didn't want to listen to it. What information did they get from the call that they relayed over to you? That it was more than one person that he was scuffling with. They didn't say how long the phone call was? No. They won't go, because it's a homicide, they won't go into details now. Did you uncover anything else on your own? We had had found things that we found that was significant at the time. Like, we found a pair of Jerome's shoes out in the uh, in the back of the alley. But they wouldn't take them as evidence. Um, my son liked to drink 
Ramy, white Ramy. We found a white Ramy bottle on the side of the house broken. Found drag marks. We told the police about the drag marks the day, the next day. It rained maybe like two days later, so mm-hmm. all of that was gone. They never did go up in that house. If St. Louis City would have took his case serious, and if they would have looked into his case and pinged his phone, they would have known he made an album one call. They found out five months later, and they tried to hide it from me because they know that's really going to make me upset because... A 911 call was made from his phone. A 911, so let me just make sure I'm clear on this. A 911 call was made from Jerome's phone on that Sunday? Yes, that morning. They actually have him on tape. I haven't listened to the tape myself because I'm just so angry that they didn't feel he was worthy enough to be found or looked for. Mm. And that my baby made a 911 call for help. And no one wanted to help him for five months. Wow. You know, let me ask you a question, Marnice. Do you think that there is a, you know, because I know I remember at the time when I was uh, covering the story, people were, you know, making all these all these assumptions about your son and his lifestyle and, you know, kind of jumping to conclusions about him. Tell me about what he was involved with and to clarify so people understand exactly what he was doing. I think you as a mother can really clear that all up. Yeah, in the beginning, people were trying to say, well, he must be in a gang, and he must be doing this, or my son was rapping, so he made videos, and some of his videos were not the perfect videos. They were the average rap videos. But, like I tell anybody, if the evening world can't dig up no dirt to put you out there, where's the dirt at? Mm. He has got in trouble when he was younger, but at the present time, Jerome was on the right track. Jerome had a heating and cooling degree. Jerome was working on another degree. Jerome was uh, into his music, and he was working at Domino's Pizza delivering pizzas. I'm not gonna say Jerome was an angel, cause back in the days he made things. he made problems, and he had he wasn't a perfect child, but he was on the right track. According to family members, Jerome was an up-and-coming rapper and business owner who loved his family. Here's some sound from Jerome and his daughter. Why you always want to go with me? I love you. What? I know that, but why you always want to go with me? Yeah, I love you so much. One thing I can never take from him, he's been an excellent dad. He became a father at an early age, and he's always taking care of his kids. So when the assumption was, well, maybe he's a gangbanger, well, maybe he's a hustler, maybe he's this. That's the first thing that came to their mind. Well, it must be drug-related, so maybe he a drug it's a drug deal gone bad. Once they exhausted all of that and found out it had nothing to do with that, mm-hmm. now it's like when I'm talking to the homicide department, it's like, well, we have it now, but it's like we lost so much because we wasn't able to do this because didn't nobody do their job. Jerome's family searched for him on a regular basis. We were out there in vacant buildings, looking through vacant buildings, looking through houses. His dad is a pastor in Columbia. His dad have a thought at three o'clock in the morning he would drive down and him and my husband would get together and go look in houses and go look for him we didn't stop looking for him whereas st louis police never did start hmm. it took them five months it took them to takisha boyd stepped into the case and said i'm gonna help you and i thank her for that because when she stepped up things started rolling who is that boy she's over she's one of the officers in the fugitive department she stepped up and said, I'm going to help you. And at the time, it was like two other boys that were missing. So she was like, I need to help you all. 
So she said, I'm going to get DNA testing. The other two mothers whose sons were missing was Brandon Bankhead, mom, and then Marquand Lee, mom. So we all reached out to each other. And as we talked to each other, it was like, we all got the same story. Oh, they running from the police. Oh, they somewhere with a white girl. And it was like, why do these three young black men got to be somewhere with a white girl? Why they got to be running from the police? Mm. And it was like, to hear the same excuses being told to us and our child not being looked for is devastating. On October 27, 2016, about five months later, an unknown skull was found by utility workers behind a vacant building surrounded by overgrown weeds. This is less than five miles away from where Jerome was last seen on Riverview Boulevard in North St. Louis. But at that time, investigators didn't know it was him. According to family and friends, Jerome had some disagreements with various people around the time of his disappearance, but so far there's nothing officially connecting those arguments to the case. Now that all this time has passed and you've learned more and more things about your son's case, why do you think someone would want to hurt him? Have you ever come to any conclusions on that? And I really in my heart think that it was a fight. And I really think that in that fight, something happened because Jerome will fight. Jerome's not no one to pull no gun on you and shoot you or none of that. He's never did that. But he will fight. What have you heard about, like, tips and leads? Any idea of what police have learned so far? Or have you gotten any more yourself? Not really too much of anything that everything I get, I share with the police. But we don't know if my son was ever shot because his death is ruled a homicide, but unconclusive because it was only bones found. The Baker family submitted DNA into the NamUs system, and that's when police got a DNA hit. In June of 2017, the medical examiner's office confirmed that the remains belonged to Jerome. I don't know if they what they found with his body. They won't tell me anything because I'll be asking, what well, did he have his gold teeth in? Did he have clothes on? Can I have, I want whatever he had on him. But they never gave me anything, and they, if they find anything, it will used in the investigation. Marnie says her son's remains were found in an area that's known for dumping bodies. The area should have been put down, trimmed, and taken care of. So when I called out the city about the spot where my son was found at, this over, just, it's a mess. Mm. They don't, all of a sudden, they don't know where, who belongs to. She also asked people who worked nearby why they couldn't smell the body. And I'm like, you all didn't smell anything. It was hot as all our doors out there. And they're like, oh, we used to the smell. So you're used to a death that can't smell. So mm. that means that's a drop, uh, uh, dumping ground. There's been other bodies maybe dumped there before, so people are accustomed to the scent, which is incredible when you stop and think about it, you know? If it was not a gas leak, my child would have laid there for I don't know how long. On February the 7th, I reached out to St. Louis City Police and turned in a Sunshine Law Records request, hoping to get more details about the case and the 911 call that Marnice told me about. Police responded and basically said I couldn't get access to any 911 records because of a state statute, statute number 610150 to be exact. They also said that I would need a court order to get the records. At that point, my Sunshine record request was officially closed. I also notified the chief about my discovery. Now, the police did give me a basic incident report, but they didn't confirm or deny that a call existed. 
The report says that Jerome's missing persons case was reclassified as a homicide and that there are no suspects named in the case. As for the manner and cause of death, that's still undetermined. And the last line of the report basically says the investigation continues. I also had a long chat with Jerome's best friend, Corey Lamar, and he told me that he really misses his friend. He says it's been hard for him to deal with Jerome's death because he couldn't even have a proper funeral and that closure is hard for him because of how his friend went missing and how he was found in such a horrible way. He added that Jerome believed in him and supported his music career and helped to make it happen. He ended the conversation by saying that Jerome meant so much to so many people in the community and that his life was headed in a positive direction. As for Jerome's female friend, she didn't respond to my request for a comment. At this point, the family is left with questions about who, where, and why someone would take Jerome's life. It's a mystery that Marnice won't let go of until she gets justice for her son. I just want to know realistically what's going on. Mm-hmm. I know people say I shouldn't say, but I'm going to tell, I'm going to speak my son's truth until I get justice for him so I know what happened to him. So tell me now, how are you dealing with everything at this point? And tell me about the impact of this on your family. I, right now, I'm just fighting for justice. Some days it's like hard. Some days you don't want to wake up. You know, it's like, it's a struggle. I have got ridicule for the days that I do smile. How you smiling and this happened, you know. But that's what my son and I would say. Don't let nobody see you cry. But I sit back in my bed and it's things that I can, uh, things that make me remember him. When I drive down Highway 70 and I see that I bet I drove there for five months past my child and he was laying there. So as I drive down or not, it bothers me. Um, his siblings are not the same. His kids got PTSD, you know, uh, his daughter. My son would be in St. Louis, and if his daughter say, Daddy, I want to see you, he would get in his truck, get some gas money, and drive to Houston and go see his child. And she knew that, and it's not there no more. So to see her suffer like she suffered, and his son is now 14 for to be 15, he's going through because he was with his daddy. When he came up missing, it's heart-wrenching. You know, like I tell him, I don't want, you know, the what ifs. But what if I would have stayed with my daddy? And I was like, I probably would have been looking for Tory Long. So, mm-hmm. it's hard to wake up every day and keep going because a mother should never bury a child. That was my only son. I have stepsons, but that was my only son that I birthed. You know, that's, it's like half of my heart is gone. I have four biological kids and a fourth that's just come up. And it's like sometimes I have to realize that I still have to be here for them and be here for my grandkids. But I think I am a little bit more distant with my kids and my grandkids some days because I don't want to feel that hurt, but I do get, I'm paranoid. My um, daughter, she has five boys and I just, I just be so worried about her boys coming up in St. Louis, it's just saddens me that the lifespan of our young men. Mm-hmm. And by me going to grief counseling and going to group, and it's like each week we're getting two to three mothers coming in that then lost their son. 
And it's like it's the norm for us, and it shouldn't be the norm for us. And it's, I hate to say it's the norm, it's becoming the norm for African-American kids. And it shouldn't be. To where I hear a lot of them say, well, you know, we're not going to make it to 30. Or if they make it to 30, well, I made it to 30, like it's something to celebrate. It's sad. Yeah, it really is. Another thing that I find really interesting is just this whole idea of the 11 minutes. The 11 minutes between when the female friend left and when Jerome's friend came to pick him up. What goes to your mind when you think about those 11 minutes? You try to get them back. What could I have done different to make them 11 minutes? Actually, it was 11 minutes from the time he talked to Corey to the time Corey made it to the house. So Corey, when I talked to him, and he has his days, his best friend, you know, he's been going on a lot of tours and stuff lately. And he just like, it's it's not the same without him sometimes. And he just like, what if I would have got up a, a minute faster or left out the door a minute sooner? Maybe I could have caught some. Because one thing we have narrowed down to is that the time he was there knocking on the door is the time the 911 call was going on. Oh, man. Hmm. I'm just praying to God that... that this 911 call, and I know they didn't want me to say anything, but it's like I'm not keeping it. Maybe someone has step up. Maybe, you know, it's like I'm tired of people because people's like, well, I'll tell you, but uh, you can't tell nobody or I don't want nobody to know. You know, it's a difference in telling and a difference in snitching. And I tell people that snitching is when you do the crime with somebody and you want to cut your time to and tell on your friend. Telling is when you say, this is my community, this is my society, it's where I live, and you're wrong. And if we don't take it back and get a village back like we had in the older days, it's not going to get better. Jerome would miss when everybody was outside. Someone has seen and someone knows what happened to Jerome. Everyone was outside before getting up going, getting ready to go to church. At first, people was like, uh I'll tell you this, come back here, and now it's like all of a sudden, hush, hush, because everybody's scared. So at this point, what do you want people to take away from your story and the whole situation that you've been dealing with for the past few years? I want everybody to know that we as a community have to come together as one. That's why when anybody say their child's missing, I'm out here with them to help them look for their child. We need to get a grasp on our community. We need to get it back. We need to help raise these kids. A lot of our kids are out here hurt, so they don't care about who they hurt. So you got to make sure that we mend our, the ones we have left. Met a lady the other day. She said that uh, her grandmama just passed away, but before she passed away, she's like, you know, my grandmama's like, I really missed him because he'll walk down the street and see me. He helped me up on the porch. But it was just the love in him because he loved people and he trusts people. And I'm hoping that love and trust is not what got him killed. While Marnice is trying to move forward in her life, she also has a message for the people responsible for her son's death. I'm trying to be at a forgiving point of a person that did something to my child. I'm not going to say I'm there yet. But that's what I'm trying to do. Because they might have been through something, and I don't know what they've been through to make them hurt that and they want to hurt my child. I said there's nothing he could have said to them to make them want to take his life. 
it's sad because every time I close my eyes, I'm trying to make him hear. So I don't get that much sleep anymore, but you just want him back. You want the good, the bad, the ugly, you want it all back. Just talking about him in the good days is, is I'm happy right now, but when I sit down by myself, it's going to bring that sadness about because I can't have him here. I don't know what he would have been. And my favorite thing is I, I said he's my Obama because I can see Jerome taking off the world. I feel like I've been robbed because I never know what all he could accomplish. When it comes to my final thoughts about this case, I can't help but wonder who Jerome encountered that day and why his life ended. I also think about those 11 minutes and what happened in that short period of time before Jerome's friend arrived to give him a ride. I think about his mother and their close bond and the bond that she says Jerome had with his own kids. When it comes to that 911 call, I can understand why Marnice didn't want to hear it herself and how it could have added more devastation to her life. I hope that police get what they need to make an arrest in the case and to get to the bottom of exactly what happened. I'm also thinking about the other two young men, Brandon Bankhead and Marquan Michael Lee, that were missing at the same time as Jerome. Marnice says they're still missing to this day. And while the cases don't seem to be linked, the parents are connected through the same tragedy. Right now, the family says Crime Stoppers is offering a $5,000 reward for information leading to an arrest in Jerome's case. Another side note is that Marnice has started a yearly toy drive in Jerome's honor for kids who have lost their own parents to violence in the community. If you have any cases or disappearances that you want me to check out, just message me on the Intrigued Full Effect website or via email at intriguedfulleffect at hotmail.com. Until next time, be safe and stay true. The views, information, or opinions expressed during the Intrigued Full Effect Curious Cases, Disappearances, and Other Stuff podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of the host or any other entity. The primary purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. The host of this podcast assumes no liability or responsibility for any activities in connection with opinions shared in the podcast. The podcast and blog associated with it shall not be used in any legal capacity or as a basis for expert testimony. Any copyright material used in the podcast is approved by the owner or is part of the public domain. Music by Pond5.